and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned in to the Tim and Friends Show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Let's go. That's right. TGIF, thank God. It's Friday, a full show of football, both the beautiful game and the Canadian three-down version, as the Grey Cup will be awarded in freezing cold Regina Sunday, and the World Cup will begin on Sunday in blistering hot Qatar. Uh, I am not Tim McCallum, uh, as I'm sure you've realized. Uh, Timmy getting a day off, but the show will be straight fire with cold takes. I'm Donovan Bennett, in for Tim McAuliffe, who I'm sure is outfitting his man cave for a FIFA watch party, I'm hoping he's hosting a bunch of those over the next month or so. If he happens to be tuning in, like you did, thank you, here is what he will see. Nate Dog, Nate Burleson on the state of the NFL as week 11 is already underway. James Charman on what state Qatar will be in by the time Canada plays its first match on Wednesday. Uh, not good scenes. And Arash Madani, as I'm sure... He's still probably got the Twitter fingers going about Commissioner Randy Ambrosi's State of the Union in the CFL earlier today. That is, of course, if Twitter still exists. I'd ask you to tweet the show. Normally I do this at this part, but if Twitter no longer exists, that doesn't make sense. Evidently, I need to get a Mastodon account, and I suppose for my show, I need one as well. If you haven't heard, I have a new show. That's right. Hey, that's me. Uh, I look much better there, though. Uh, Going Deep with Donovan Bennett, available wherever you get podcasts. Same as this show. We podcast it as well. Uh, so tell a friend to tell a friend. Rate, review, subscribe, all of those things that podcasters say. Uh, that's partially why I have, I don't know if you can see, bags under my eyes. I don't look as fresh and young as Nate Burleson. You'll see him later. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you have to zoom in. Like, I, I couldn't just tell <laughs> Canada. Uh, my, I've been exfoliating, but, man, I haven't been getting much sleep. Uh, that's because I did my show earlier today. Unlike Tim and Sid, I do my own show. Uh, I also took the red eye from Grey Cup. Sid does his own show now. It's just Tim. Uh, I took the red eye from Grey Cup week in Regina and came straight here to work. Which begs the question, because this is something that neither Tim or Sid would do. I ask Kevin for you to help me out, yeah. which you will do all throughout the show because I'm now getting my second wind uh, and getting the previous host of this show mad at me. Seriously, weigh in on this. So I took a couple flights, didn't fly direct. The person who gets up immediately, storms up, right, landed like the, the, the we're still rolling, yeah. landed, gets their bag. From and, and it's just standing there, just standing, and, and their bag is now in your face. Yeah, and you're just sitting there. And we're we're still on the tarmac for another 20 minutes. They're just they're just right here, like sprinter stance, yeah. ready to go. They're ready, to, yeah. Cut or uncut? That is one of the biggest cuts in the history of oh. cut or uncut. Talk to me, why? Where are you going? Where are you? Are you bursting through the door yourself? Will you be operating the door handle in this scenario? You cannot go anywhere. You're stuck. Sit down. Relax. Let's just all wait this out together. So I'm going to just play devil's advocate. Not to say that this is something I do, but they're getting ahead in the queue. Like someone at some point has to get up and someone has to leave. Someone has to get their bag first. They're just saying, I'm declaring the right of way. I'm going first. Okay. Still, no. Still, you're not buying it. The only time I will accept it, and perhaps it's even... Somebody will give you a heads up because you should know that your 
you look like you're a bad person when you're rushing towards the front of the plane. Okay. If you say, listen, I have a connecting flight and it leaves in 20 minutes. Do you mind? Is it okay? Sir, I'm just going to sneak by. And then everyone goes, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. But if not, what are you doing? You're just trying to get out to go wait for your bag? Well, that, Sit down. See, that, wait. that is the thing. And that is the qualifier that I have. If you're traveling light, just got to carry on the, the personal item, okay, maybe you can get up because you're literally leaving, mm-hmm. going through the gate, and she gone. But if you have to wait for your bags with everybody else anyways, and it is a random selection of whose yeah. bag is coming down first, yep. then really, what are you getting up and going for? So I, I, these are the things that, like, it's like our human interactions, who thinks what is acceptable, who gets annoyed by these things. The other one is, which I noticed, it's time to board. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So in one, small children, elderly People who have paid more, you're first. The people who rush the queue and stand at the front ready for their zone, even though it's not time yet, they're not sitting on the uncomfortable chairs by Mm. the gate. Cut or uncut? So that's less of a cut, but it's it's still kind of the same thing. You're just in an airport, not on a plane. Here's the only scenario in which I think it might be acceptable. Let's say that it's a packed flight. And you know how every airline charges you to check a bag now. So if you have that one bag with you and you need to put it in the overhead compartment, but let's say that everyone's doing the exact same thing, you want to make sure that you get that spot in the overhead compartment. So So you want to get on. But also... Real estate management. You you don't want the bag at your feet. No. You want them over your head. You get the big bag, too, if you're taking it in with you. And also, if we have the zones on your ticket and you're not following it, this is a democracy we live in. We live in a society of zones. Follow the zone. Yeah, I, I think we could do a better job of zones, though. We Because um, sometimes they don't make sense. I'm, I'm walking past people, hitting them with my bag as I board. Like, shouldn't it be back to front? That's, let us, let I, us know. It, I, whether it's on Twitter see, or Mastodon, IG. That's, that's, l- that's the know. ticket right there. Like, why isn't the zone, why isn't the back of the plane boarding first? You would think. I think they should. You would and, think. You'd think that the people who have first class at the front of the plane, they have a special lounge for them anyways. You say, That's hey, we'll, we'll let you know when you can come up here. Like, you just relax until then. We'll bring you a little cookie. We got a little glass of champagne. Just you relax. Know, until ginger molasses cookies that have been warmed anyways. Uh, Tasty. As you've noticed, what I do when I host is I just fill a buster and take over the show and stress the producers out. Uh, we got a lot to get to. <laughs> so let's get to first things. First, now that we've got travel decorum out of the way. Indeed. Let's go. Deej, the 2022 World Cup begins officially on Sunday when the host Qatar kick off against Ecuador. And while there's plenty of excitement about Canada's first appearance in the tourney in 36 years, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on around the periphery here. Controversy, rumors of bribery and match fixing. There's journalists being threatened. And today, FIFA banned the sale of beer at World Cup stadiums. Which upset people the most, by the way. I'd say so. Tensions seem to be rising less than 48 hours away from the first match. How do you think this is all going to play out? Not well. I I have this nervous pit in my stomach, and Mm -hmm. a ball has yet to be kicked. First of all, you kind of know who you got into a relationship with. One, the game's got there due to bribery. There's great reporting, whether it's (laughs) it's The Guardian or other places, that that's how it got there. So why would you be surprised that bribery may happen when the games Mm -hmm. start? That's one. Two... You have a country that has openly said, that, yeah, alcohol is not going to be a thing that we're going to be having in public. So it puts your Budweiser 
sponsorship in jeopardy, right? Like, I can't exactly be roaming the streets with a Bud Light. They moved the beer garden tents already because they were too close to the stadium. Now they're getting rid of them altogether, trying to sell non-alcoholic beer. FIFA just wants to have its cake and eat it too, or its money and get more money as well. I'm not surprised that at this point, the Qatari government says, like, yeah, we're not even trying to pretend. We paid for the right to do what we want, so we're going to do what we want. What are you going to do? Take the games from us? <laughs> Two days, you're going to pick up and leave? You're going to head to somewhere else? Going to go to Saudi Arabia just like just like that? I don't think so. Uh, one of my favorite things is that they said, uh, yeah, no problem. We're going to have non-alcoholic beer, so you'll still be satisfied. And that's everyone saying, like, oh, good. This yes, is not, Bud this, Zero. Th- I, I, this is not going to go well. Because... No. We've had issues at major tournaments with fans from some nations, not going to say any names, having too much alcohol. You you don't think they're going to find a way to enjoy themselves, and that's going to be a conflict, because in that country it's literally a conflict of interest? I mean, these are some of the uh, makeshift accommodations. Yeah, you know, we we had 1.6 million uh, (laughs) migrant workers uh, building hotels, but we didn't have enough time, so guess what? You've got uh, this Airbnb on this side of the road that you can stand. It's this, fire fests. The, uh, that's a great reference. Uh, also, great documentary. I worry because it, it could be the fire festival of World Cups. Yep. If it isn't already, I, I worry about what all this means. Well, one for the two S LGBTQ plus community and whether or not they're going to be safe. But I also worry about what this might mean for journalists trying to tell some of these stories. So, and that's a big problem. Security. Uh, particularly for the journalists, is supposed to be an event that should be covered freely, but we're seeing early on that maybe not so much. We stopped with film, and that's the Mister, you invited the whole world to You invited the whole world to come here. Why can't we film? It's a public place. This is the uh, accreditation. Okay. We can film anywhere we want. Okay. There are only, of course. But we need for the Qatar. Qatar, you have because rule. Qatar is a no, no, no. We don't need permit. Yeah. No, no, but, 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 but listen, but listen, but listen. But you can break the camera. You want to break the camera? Okay, you break the camera. Okay. So you're threatening us by 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 smashing the camera. Yeah, just break the camera. Just I need the SD card so I can upload it later yeah, as footage, yeah. but you can break it. It, it. I I want your takeaway. To me, those are two worlds colliding. Like someone who's trying to have a reasonable conversation. Here's my accreditation. Here are the zones where I can film. And someone who is from an authoritarian regime and is like, mm-hmm. you know what the rules are? Whatever I say, they are right now. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's. It's like if Vince McMahon running the WWF. These are my rules, and you're going to play by my rules. That's exactly what it is. Two worlds colliding, very specific. It's almost literal in two worlds colliding. So there's tons of controversies, stories, things that make you a little sad that the World Cup is happening. But let's try and focus on some stuff that will make you happy the World Cup is happening. Team Canada has arrived in Qatar. They touched down last night after their warm-up match against Japan in Fonzie. Dubai. Earlier today, there he was. Alfonso Davis, a Davies arrived to join the squad and said to cameras, I'm ready. What are your expectations for the Canadian squad heading into the tourney? I don't want to be the Debbie Downer. Like, that was supposed to be the negative story. Now we're uplifted and positive. You know what? We don't have to frame it like that. We can just say, like, let's focus on the actual football that's going to happen here. The yeah, actual soccer. True. I, I, I worry that... Days, 72 hours before uh, this team is supposed to play, the tournament is supposed to start, that 
he hasn't been, and he being Alfonso, been part of the, the pre-match lead-up that Eustachio was pulled in uh, warm-up in their last game. To me, those two are the biggest difference makers on the park for them. They're an entirely different side without them. I really think that not only could they steal some points and get a goal, I think they can get out of the group. I think they should go into every game expecting to get points, but not if their two world-class players are not right. And with a hamstring, you might have him run out for 15 minutes and turn the wrong way and lose him for the tournament. And nobody wants to see that. Certainly no one who's thinking about his career, club, or country. So I am I'm a little bit concerned. How, how are you feeling? Cautiously optimistic Okay. How, how I'm looking at it. It's, it's a Canadian... Tim and I... Uh, Tim mentioned this. It's a team full of swagger, the Canadian squad. And I I subscribe to that theory as well. And also, I'm a little more optimistic now, too, that Canada's first opponent, Belgium, one of the best in the world, they actually lost their final World Cup tune-up today to Egypt. And is that cause to give you a little more reason for optimism? I suppose I guess. Egypt and Canada are only three places apart in the world rankings, so you're thinking like-for-like competition, maybe we can give them a go based off what we saw. Essentially, this was a first-team side for Belgium that played in this match, but, but I don't want to be hypocritical. Major tournaments in this golden generation for Belgium, they have flown through qualifying mm-hmm. in the lead-up, and you know, you got to do like 17 different things to improve your FIFA ranking, and they are second. And they previously have been first. And then at major tournaments, they've struggled to live up to those expectations. So now I'm not going to overreact and say, well, you've, you've, you've struggled of late, so I'm going to downplay your ability to play good football during the tournament. They still have a lot of talent in that side. They still have the best player in the group on their team and so, in De Bruyne. So I, I, I still think they're a side to be reckoned with. I, I still worry about what that first match looks like. So James Sharman's going to join us to chat some yeah. more World Cup. And also joining us later is Arash Madani, who's going to chat some Grey Cup with us. The Argos and Blue Bombers will meet in the 109th edition of the Grey Cup Sunday in Regina. The big question mark heading into the game is, will Zach Caleros be ready to go? After he hurt his ankle in the fourth quarter of the West Final against the Lions, Caleros, he practiced for the first time this week earlier today. And by all accounts, he did look pretty good. BG confident that he'll be ready to go Sunday. I mean, I'm confident he'll be ready to go. The question is, can he be himself? Can he be the guy that extends plays with his legs, tucks it and runs when he needs to? Because the strength of the Argos defense is their, their front seven. And so their ability to get home and pressure him will be interesting, especially on what will be again, and you see the original injury mm-hmm. in Winnipeg, which will be on uh, a slick turf. It has been snowing throughout the week in Regina. It is going to be below freezing Real temperatures. Yeah. So you can get the seven stud cleats out if you want. You move the wrong way, and the best tape job is, is not helping your ankle. And so I worry about his ability to play at a high level. This is a guy who's a back-to-back MOP, and they need him to be that guy, especially this year where Winnipeg has leaned heavier on their offense. Historically, they've been much more of a defensive side. So we'll see. It is the biggest question. I would not be surprised if we see a Drew Brown package. 
I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, Dakota Pruka package, and he handles short yards anyways, because I think it might be a collection from that quarterback room on Sunday. Two of the smartest CFL minds at Sportsnet, Deej and Arashmadani, and they're going to chat more about the Great Cup coming up. We're going to switch over, set up the board, the NFL, and the Titans did it again last night. How do they keep doing this? They beat the Packers. Well, actually, maybe Deej, me, you, and nine friends might be able to beat the Packers. <laughs> Titans won 27-17 in Green Bay. Tennessee's now won seven of their last eight. Their only loss was in overtime to the Chiefs. The Pack, meanwhile, have lost six of seven. Aaron Rodgers, he took some of the blame after the game. I got for the ball better than I did tonight. I'm not going to make excuses about my thumb. It's been the same since New York. I threw a lot of kind of wobblers tonight. So um, there was some wind, but uh, just missed a few throws I should have had. I mean, definitely the one to Sammy and, and the one to Allen for sure. It's not often you get booed. What's it like hearing those? Not you personally, but as, as, a, as a group. Um... Interesting. It's the best I can give you. Thank you, Aaron, for being so in-depth. That was actually his 16th straight game with less than 300 passing yards. That's the longest streak of his career. Has Aaron Rodgers lost his touch? I'm going to be careful with what I say because Cabby is boys with Rodgers. They're BFFs, and Cab might fight me if I don't come <laughs> correct. But I will say this. I think the booing is less about the play and more about how he's handled this entire season and really going back to the offseason, drawing out whether or not he's going to come back, wants more, saying what the roster looks like. Essentially, was so annoying that Defonte Adams is like, I'll, I'll take similar money to go somewhere else. And did not, throughout the offseason, work with the new cast of characters, those new wide receivers that he had to work in, those young guys, those same guys that he was criticizing earlier in the year that they didn't know their stuff. Well, you could have helped them. Yeah, you could have been there. Patrick Mahomes last Tyreek Hill. Was working with his guys all offseason to make them right. Chiefs look pretty good. He's a favorite to win MVP. The award, Rodgers won the last two years. I don't think he fell off a cliff athletically. Although, he did mention, I'm not going to mention my thumb, but by saying my thumb, I'm letting you know that my thumb is injured. I think the Packers fans were booing him the way he's managed this season and not so much on the way he's playing right now. Because I think just... Not looking at the tape, it's not just about missed throws, miscommunication all over the place, and, and Rodgers has to own some of that. There's a cockiness to his expectations for his team and what he can do, and he's not falling through. And like you said, he could have been working with the young, young gun receivers that he has. Look at Christian Watson, who's balling out the last two games. If he worked with him longer, maybe it would have been better earlier on in the year. Um, I mean, is, where's he going to be next year? Where's he going? Is he going to be in Green Bay? Jeopardy? <laughs> don't, don't like Ken Jennings? I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I think he'll be back in Green Bay if they'll have him. Jordan Love hasn't done anything to make you think that there is a recession, uh, a succession plan in terms of who you're going to be uh, moving forward at the position. So I, I think Rodgers wants us to think that he's taking that next step, but mm-hmm. I, I think he's still a Packer. The question is, is he going to be more engaged about getting some offensive talent around him? Packers fans see Jordan Love, and they think that is a recession plan. Let's go over to the <laughs> NHL. Just one nice game day. in the league this evening as the Canucks, they host the Kings. Viewers in the Vancouver region can see it on Sportsnet Pacific. The Canucks off to a terrible start to the season. Another one. And the debate over whether or not to rebuild its region in the lower mainland. So where do you stand on the Canucks? Can they turn it around, or is it time to fall for Bedard? I can't come up with a good rhyme. That didn't rhyme. I thought it might. 
bad for Bedard. Bad, bad for Bedard. Crack for Connor. Whatever you want to call it. You got to listen. I love me some tanking. I was all in on the Raptors uh, tanking, and, and they never really did. Uh, I, I was all in for the Sixers tanking, and that's all they did. And it hasn't really, it hasn't really worked, out. worked out at a high level. But I, I, what is the ceiling of this team? Like, forget about the West. Forget about the league. You just looked at the other Canadian teams mm-hmm. in terms of who has a pathway to high-level sustained success. Where would you rank the Vancouver Canucks? Seventh. Thank you. So what are we what are we doing? We could inch and crawl and make small gains. We could certainly change in terms of the front office, the coach, or you could get a transformational player. Now that's not a guarantee. We just talked about the fact that Buffalo didn't take the step everyone thought they would mm-hmm. when they had Eichel. We talked about that earlier in the week. But an Austin Matthews only comes around so often. And- Connor McDavid only comes around yep. so often. And Bedard last night is letting you know, I only come around so often. Off the opening face-off, this is what I'm doing. So energizing energizing that fan base, more than anything. Yeah. I feel like people in, in British Columbia need a, to be rehabbed in terms of the relationship with the club because it has been a while. And, and so, yeah, I would love to see him in this country and I'd love to see him uh, pulling on that sweater. That's such a good point. Yeah, Vancouver fans need a reason to be optimistic about the club again because the picking around the edges of not really rebuilding but then trying to load up while they kind of pseudo-rebuild, it's not working. No, No. not working at all. Uh, You know what's working for us? What's that? Talking to people that are smarter than me and you. You're pretty smart, so I I, I won't throw you into that. Uh, James Sharman happens to be one of those people. He's going to help us tee up the World Cup on... And off the field, Rashbadaddy joins us from the Grey Cup in Regina. And after the break, the great Nate Burleson as we talk week 11 in the NFL. Tim and friends, no Tim. It's Friday. Let's go. Well, you're so worried about stopping Derrick Henry. The last thing you're expecting is the big fella to do a jump pass. And this crowd is not used performances like this. Bethel Thompson with five. Into the end zone! Touchdown Argos! Down the field for Ryan! Intercepted! And they are off to Grey Cup 109 in Regina. Now the bandwagon gathers steam for the biggest sporting event in the world. Next stop, Qatar. I still can't believe I am saying it. Canada World Cup. It's unbelievable waking up here. Um, you just get that little bit more excitement uh, knowing where you are. What more do you want? Don't like it, leave. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. No Tim, Donovan Bennett in holding it down for Timmy. And I got some help. It is Friday, so you know the boy. Nate Dog, Nate Burleson joins us on the show. Friday fun, and we give Nate his flowers. Thank you, Nate, for joining us in front of yet another beautiful backdrop. I feel like you have a green screen, because every time you're on the show, it's a different backdrop. Nah, that's natural. That's for real. You know what I'm saying? We keep it all the way real around here. Um, It's good to see you. You know, Tim's not in the house, but my boy DB is in the building. The only DB that can stop me is you, so I'm (laughs) glad you got me, baby. Uh, Not not stopping you, just hoping to contain you. And actually, they've been coming after Uh me, Nate. Because they're a little mad at me around these parts that 
I'm hoarding QBs in fantasy that I got Mahomes and Fields on my bench. And I said, don't be mad that I evaluate QBs like I'm the black Bill Walsh. I'm skinny Andy <laughs> Reid. Make me an offer. So I, I appreciate your support because these guys are getting of course. Uh, let's Let's talk about QBs because Aaron Rodgers was the one. He was him. He yeah. was Timothy until all of a sudden he's not. This yeah. might be on track to be the third time in his career he's below 500. Is it him? Is it the offense around him? Is it the staff? When you look at the root cause symptoms of what the issues are in Green Bay, what do you see? Yeah, it's tough to answer because Aaron Rodgers is doing everything that he he typically does, which is putting the ball in positions where his wide receivers can go up and make plays for him. Um, now, there, there was a slow start to the season. They've dealt with some injuries. Um, now they're finally starting to get some guys back that he loves to throw to. Randall Cobb is back on the field. And, and Christian Watson. Chris, Christian Watson has emerged over the last couple of games. I think, what is it, five touchdowns in two weeks? I mean, you have to give a young man credit for that. But one thing I can say, and we don't oftentimes criticize Aaron Rodgers because he's almost above reproach. Um, but he's gotten so used to just flicking the wrist, you know what I'm saying? Like, he, he throws these, like, off-balance passes where his feet could be any position. It's kind of like Steph Curry from three-point line. He don't have to necessarily have his feet set as long as his form is good. And that's Aaron when he's throwing the ball. And sometimes he's on point, and we're like, ooh, look at Aaron, doing Aaron things. But then sometimes his feet aren't set, and he's just flicking the wrist, and we're like, look at Aaron throwing an air throw. So I just feel like he can take some of the blame. Uh, but then also you have to look at the wide receivers. Let's be realistic. I mean, the, the Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers split up. It was tough on both of those guys. Adams has shown some glimpses of how great he is. Aaron Rodgers has shown some glimpses, but they just aren't the same with that number one wide receiver being on another team. So to, to answer your question, the very long-winded way, I think it's trifold. I think it's Aaron Rodgers. The receiver's not stepping up as often as he needs to, or shall I say, more consistent. Um, and then it's also some of the play calling. Because if Aaron Rodgers is throwing little subtle subs to his coaching staff, even Mike LaFour about certain plays that are being called at certain times of the game, then obviously there's a disconnect between on what they want out of Aaron Rodgers and what, what, what Aaron Rodgers wants out of the offense. I never thought I'd see the day that 2 chains, Kirk Cousins and Justin mm. Fields are playing better football in the division than Aaron Rodgers. But I, I, I think we're here. Yeah, you are. You are. We are here. And, and give credit to two chains. It's more like four or five chains if you're seeing those viral clips with Kirk Cousins. <laughs> and then finally, Justin Fields. They're allowing the offense to run through his ability to run. Mm, I, I like what you did there. That was a bar. That was a bar. That was a bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Fields because whether it's the Bears, the Ravens, and the Bills, they lead the league in terms of yards per rush. All three teams, their leading rusher is their quarterback. Their quarterback. Remember, yep. like, not too long ago, ah, can't have our QBs run too much, too valuable, they might hurt, defensive ends are going to break them. Now the QB is the run game. Why have we seen this sea change so quickly? The game has changed. I remember some time ago, um, one of the OGs in the NFL said that college football – is leaning more towards running quarterbacks. And I was like, really? He said, yeah, check out um, the next wave of recruits that are going to come in over the next decade. The same guys that were going to be wide receivers, some possibly uh, 
tight ends or even running backs, um, they will be quarterbacks, which means you'll have bigger athletic quarterbacks, the would-be tight ends, the slimmer, trimmer, faster quarterbacks, the would-be receivers, and then the the short, very athletic, quick, explosive QBs, um, you know, the could-be running backs, and that's a Kyler Murray type. And those guys are now going to start playing quarterback positions because offense are leaning more towards using their athletes. Why does that help? Because if I'm a wide receiver and I run one route, right, and you're the DB, I'm coming at you. <laughs> I come out my break. I turn around to look for the QB. He doesn't throw me the ball, and you're on top of me. Great coverage by DB, the DB. But then as soon as the quarterback looks at me and he passes the ball, shakes the pocket, extends the play, I come out of that break, and I'm like, oh, scramble drill time. I turn around and run a fade route. You're looking at me to the QB. You take a couple steps up thinking the ball's coming to me, and now I'm getting behind you. Listen, it's tough to stop a receiver running one route let alone two or sometimes three. That's why we've seen this explosion of offense in big plays because these athletic quarterbacks are extending the pocket with their legs, allowing guys like me to run multiple routes in one play. And trust me when I say, this is not all just scramble drill. You're like, oh, they got lucky. Teams are starting to practice this on a daily basis. Well, the Dolphins are not practicing punting because they're not doing it much. Uh, Tua has been on one. 41% of his red zone throws have been TDs. League average is 22. We didn't know at the start of the year if Tua was going to be there past this year. Why yeah. has he taken his game to another level? Well, listen, I mean, you be spitting bars without even knowing you spitting bars. You said Tua is on one. He's rocking number one. And they were on number one the last couple of years because they were trying to figure out who was this guy coming out of college what is he going to be? He's banged up. And then even last year, you know what? We're not sure he's the guy for the job. We were even criticizing him when Tyreek Hill landed with the Dolphins, saying, well, that's all we're going to see of the explosive plays from Tyreek Hill. I mean, we we, we better have, have enjoyed that time that he had with Patrick Mahomes because we won't see the explosion. And you're looking at this head-to-head between Tua and Justin Herbert. And just think about it. We would not be having this conversation last year. We wouldn't be saying, hey, look at these two quarterbacks, and here's the comparison. Because everybody thought Justin Herbert was just so far ahead of him, not just from a skill set standpoint, even some people were saying, well, from a football IQ standpoint, Herbert's just a better quarterback. But this goes to show you, if you have a quarterback with a specific skill set with Tua, it's great timing, anticipation, delivery, a very catchable ball, and wide receivers and running backs and tight ends that can make plays for you, Anything can happen. He can not only be a good quarterback on a good team that's leading the division, but he can be one of the best quarterbacks in the game, maybe a dark horse for the MVP, depending on how much of a run he goes on in the second half of the season. Oh, and not to mention, we're looking at the numbers. We realize he was out those games with a concussion. So um, the reason why he has turned into this absolute beast of a QB, it's a combination, growth, maturity, health, wide receiver, tight end, and running back play. And last thing, let me not forget Mike McDaniel is the secret sauce to the recipe of success in Miami. Mike McDaniel. Uh, you saw those Bet Rivers odds. Two is up to second in the MVP How about that? odds. Someone who's not on that list but was to start the year, 
Justin Herbert. And you talked about those numbers, the numbers that are concerning. Four straight games with an interception. Hasn't thrown for 300 yards since the first week in October. Now, are we evaluating a bit of a sophomore slump or ribs messed up, no Keenan Allen, coach on the sideline who thinks he's playing Madden at some point, not coaching an NFL game? What do you think it is in terms of how we evaluate Herbert in his second year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about the the uh, numbers and the analytics and going for certain downs. I feel you on that. I think it's a combination of the things that you said. Of course, him being banged up. He's a guy that throws with a lot of torque. And we can only imagine coming off of that rib, rib injury early on in the season. It was difficult for him. Um, not having his number one guy out there is difficult for this offense. Um, and let, let's be real. When you are big, strong, and and athletic and have, have been praised for that, sometimes young quarterbacks lean on that. The one thing that I've learned sitting with uh, Boomer Esiason and Phil Sims on NFL Today at CBS is that sometimes the biggest play is the play that you don't make, the throw that you don't take, the risk that you don't actually go out there and 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 take that puts your team in a even worse position. So um, these young QBs out here sometimes have to dial it back and say, listen, man, we'll just let the play another down. I don't have to force the ball downfield. I don't have to force it in between coverage because we're seeing these decisions hurt this team, hurt this QB and his efficiency late in the game when he's throwing these picks. Especially the case in bad weather. We might see some bad weather football throughout the year. Crazy weather in Buffalo. Six feet of snow. Yeah. Team going to Detroit. Obviously a city you know well. But playing in the NFC North and in the league for a long time, I imagine you had some bad weather football games. What is the worst bad weather football game that you played in? Yeah, it's, it, it's looking crazy out there in Buffalo right now. I haven't seen that much snow since Tony Montana and that final scene, Scarface. <laughs> um, but no, like for me, um, I remember being on the Detroit Lions and we went to Philly. And the weather was decent. And then all of a sudden, um, we start going to the game, and we're seeing little sprinkles. And we're like, ooh, this is cute. You know what I'm saying? Let it go. Let it go. And then we go into the <laughs> locker room. And then by the time we get out there for warm-ups, it's starting to come down. And then we go back in, do our pregame, um, our, our, our pregame routine. And then we come back out, and it's snow everywhere. And it's getting heavier and heavier, so much so they had to keep – reinforcing the lines because we couldn't see them. I'm sliding in the snow, making catches. At one point, I had snow everywhere. I get to the huddle, and I'm laughing and smiling, and Calvin was like, bro, what are you doing? I'm like, hey, yo, this picture right here is going to look so dope when I get these photos from these photographers. But what's crazy about this game, though, it was one of Shady McCoy's best games because, like I said, the snow was coming down. He went in at halftime, came out, and was giving us that work. As he likes to put it, Shady was – he was making moves in the snow that regular running backs can't make move on dry land. I mean, I swear, I swear to this day, he must have went in there, went to the back, opened up the safe, and talked to the trainer and the equipment manager. I was like, hey, yo, give me those air uh, Yoda Lehihus because I need some mountain climber cleats, and I'm about to go out here and put this work on the Detroit Lions, and he did. So I always remember that game because I'm like, how is he moving like this? It's not possible. Listen, some of his best games were bad weather games. Zero Back. ball security. Ball was out here. But somehow he was making plays in the snow. Uh, you're always making plays with us right here. We're looking forward to some snow football both in Canada with the Great Cup, which you know well, uh, and the NFL yep. as we watch Week 11. Thank you so much for bringing it down with us, my brother. 
I appreciate you, man. I'm just trying to be as fresh as your fade is. You feel me? This is a lie. This is a lie. It is pretty fresh. Thank you for getting your boy right. After the break, <laughs> more football. But of the Canadian variety, as we visit with Arash Madani in Regina, just 48 hours ahead of the Rick Cup, Tim and Friends rolls on on a Friday. Arash has good hair, too. Welcome back, and we are just over 48 hours away from the Great Cup in Regina. The big story as we approach the big game is Zach Claros' ankle. He hasn't practiced all week, but was on the field and practicing today, a short time ago, as the Bombers look for a three-peat, while the Argos look to pull the upset. So we pulled in the guy who at this time of year is always covering the Canadian game, and at times at multiple levels. Arash Badani, thank you for braving the what feels like minus 16 to talk to us. And the talk... It feels colder. Does uh, it's it? Not, it does not feel like minus 16. No, it does not. Put the hood up on that on that North Face jacket. Of yeah, yours. no kidding. Well, the, the talk is uh, about not just those conditions and weathering them, but will Zach have those wheels that he's been known for uh, in weathering them on Sunday? My, my entire... Twitter feed or random angles of him gingerly rolling out and people saying how good or or not so good he looks. So I'll ask you, because quite frankly, I trust you more than most of the assembled media. How did he look and how much will it impact what we see on Sunday? He looked okay. He wasn't doing much. I mean, DJ, a lot of these were dropbacks. A lot of it was just taking snaps in the pocket and just firing off kind of short passes he rolled out a little bit but not you know live snaps just when he was just kind of trying to get a feel for it but he was definitely working that right ankle here's what i'm led to believe that this injury is actually significant and it would have been bad really bad if there wasn't a plate already in caleros's right ankle and that may have actually helped a little bit in this so he didn't practice the last two days he did today. He's going to be out there on Sunday. And you're right. The question becomes, can he roll out? Can he be vintage Zach Caleros? Because when he's facing pressure and when he's on the move and starts firing darts all over the place, this is a dude with a passer rating of over 118 when he's out of the pocket mm. under pressure. He, he's delivered under duress. The question is, on Sunday, will the ankle let him do that? He's yet to lose a playoff game since being a bomber. We'll see if that streak continues. If it does continue, it might be because of his backs and Brady Oliveira. And now it's a new person in the backfield at this time of year because obviously Andrew Harris, after a bit of a standoff in the offseason, ends up in Toronto, not back in Winnipeg. I can't imagine there's going to be a more motivated player on the field on Sunday than Andrew Harris so much so that he fought back to, to be in this game after 13 weeks out. What do you expect to see and hear from Harris as we get closer to Sunday? It's a great question. I had a chance to chat with Andrew yesterday for a little while. Uh, congratulations to him and his family, by the way. Uh, they became parents again. Andrew became a dad again just nine days ago. All of that after he tore a pec muscle in the middle of August, and that's an injury that any time is a year-ender, except not this time. He did some PRP treatments, some of the stuff Tiger Woods and Kobe Bryant 
have done in the past. And it, it started to become a little bit of an idea maybe in late October. Oh, my God. Can I come back from this? Can this be a reality? And and honestly, DJ, I got to correct you, man. I don't think it was a standoff with the Bombers and Andrew Harris. Hmm. I think Andrew Harris got ghosted by his hometown team. Fair. I mean, he just wasn't getting an answer for the longest time about what their plans were and what they were going to do. And then there were the Toronto Argonauts saying, we want you here. And they gave him a bunch of money in CFL economics to come to Toronto and be that guy. And it was a bit of a tough go for him. And then the injury, but then, you know, gets into the East final. He rushes for 40 yards. He has over 70 all-purpose yards. And, I mean, I don't know how much you guys can see behind me. It is snowy. It is icy. The, the track is not good, which means it's excellent for Andrew Harris, who is used to these conditions, has played big in these conditions in previous Novembers. And if someone ghosts you after a little while, yeah, maybe you do have a little more hunger, especially when you're starting to talk openly about maybe, maybe this is the last game I'm going to play in the CFL. Okay, let me get a mulligan. Let me get my out-of-context relationship analogies correct because I believe the Calgary Stampeders and Bolivar Mitchell consciously uncoupled. And now the Hamilton Tiger Cats have slid okay. in his DMs. Nicely done. And uh, want to be the first okay. to have a conversation. People are uh, in Regina wearing Bo Levi Mitchell Tiger Cat jerseys, having no idea if he'll ever run out of the tunnel at Tim Hortons Field as a home player. He seems to be the first domino in what might be a musical chairs of quarterbacks, also impacted by Nathan Rourke. What do you expect to see this offseason? And is this a referendum on... The fact that, quite frankly, there might not be many elite cues in the league right now. Well, there aren't. There aren't. I mean, it's Caleros, Nathan Rourke, and who knows where Rourke is going. And then who? Um, yeah, I guess Bo. You know, look, right here in Regina, they're going to throw everything at him. Toronto has interest in him. I'm not sure what McLeod Bethel Thompson's football future is, even though the Argonauts quarterback has gotten his team right here to the championship game. His wife is one of the head writers for Marvel TV shows, and they have a kid, and they're in Atlanta right now, and the distance thing may end up becoming a factor. So Bo's going to have options. The Ticats have slid into the DMs, DJ, but guess what? Bo, Bo hasn't clicked on it. He doesn't want anybody <laughs> knowing that 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 he said that he's he's not even acknowledging what they have to say. It doesn't even because say red Bo's yet. saying, "Wait a minute, that <laughs> didn't say red. It barely says delivered." Uh, <laughs> Toronto's going to come. Saskatchewan's going to come, and Bo has said, "I'm going to free agency," and Bo has a lot of leverage because there aren't a lot of high-quality quarterbacks in the CFL right now. So Bo's going to get paid, and Bo's going to decide where he wants to go, even though Hamilton has the exclusive negotiation window. And I put that in air quotes because, of course, tampering never happens in the CFL. So no other team would reach out to him before that window opens. Oh, man, I just love drama and petty. I would love for Bo to give Hamilton the new phone who dis and, and show up at a press conference in, in Riders Green, and then Hamilton has an awkward conversation potentially uh, with Dane Evans. Uh, or even better, Toronto. The Ticats rival down oh, the street. What enough. if he ends up in double blue? Sure. I mean, right? they're too deep, and coaching staff is full of Stampeders. So it isn't the, the farther. Uh, it isn't out of the realm of possibility. Okay. One of the pastimes that you love at the Great Cup, 
Pancake Breakfast, uh, Spirit of Edmonton, and Rashmadani Grilling, whoever the CFL commissioner happens to be at that given time. <laughs> what was the state of the league like? Give me something that, that you heard that didn't pass for you, but also, like, you get branded as a hater. Give me something you heard that you liked. Well, here's what I was waiting to hear, any kind of news, and the entire hour went by, we didn't get any news, and then some fans showed up a couple hours later, and Ambrosi told them, oh, by the way, starting next year, we're going to play all our playoff games, not Grey Cup, but the division semifinals and the finals on Saturdays. So that's news, that's a thing, that's smart, don't go head-to-head against the NFL. Um, I thought that was that was good. Um, I remain amazed, DJ, that they're continuing with this ridiculous global program uh, that even the commissioner admitted has brought in no significant revenue at all to the league. And they're continuing with this ridiculous, idiotic staff cap where they're limiting the amount of money that they can pay coaches and support staff. And then if they fire those guys, then that counts against the cap the next year. So I, I really like the Saturday playoff thing. I think that that's so important right now. You're not going to win the battle against the NFL, and here's a chance to really turn it into an opportunity to see what you can do in November on Saturdays in terms of trying to get more people into the stadium. Okay, quickly one line: Argos win if Bombers win if. Argos win if Andrew Harris is the most outstanding player and the most outstanding Canadian in the game, which means the Argos offensive line can dominate the point of attack, can dominate a very good Winnipeg front. I think that's going to be really challenging to happen. And Winnipeg wins if Zach's able to move. If Zach can roll out, if Zach can be Zach, because that's the only real question for a 15-3 and bomber team that has been a juggernaut wire to wire. I always win when I talk to you. Thanks, pal. Oh, bud. That is Arash Madani in Regina. Talking about the Great Cup. Coming up, the World Cup kicks off on Sunday, but will the off-field issues overshadow the play on the pitch? Can Canna hold their own? Is it coming home? We will bring it, break it all down from all angles as James Sharman drops by next on Tim and Friends. Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you, Sheepdogs. That would be me. I'm a friend of the show, and I'm here, back here, for the final half hour of the week on Tim and Friends. James Sharman will be by in a couple minutes, also a friend of the show. He's going to help us tee up the World Cup, which kicks off in just two days. Uh, We're with you until 6.30 Eastern when Hockey Central takes over. Just one game in the NHL tonight as the Canucks host the Kings. See it regionally on Sportsnet Pacific. With more on the Canucks, let's send it to Dan Murphy in Vancouver. Dan. After a five-game road trip, the Canucks are back in Vancouver to commence a brief two-game homestand. And that starts with a game against the Kings, a team that's currently above the Canucks in the Pacific Division standings. But let's be honest here, Donovan. There's only one team below them in the Pacific, and that is Anaheim. Now, the Kings are coming off a high-scoring loss in Calgary, followed by a low-scoring win in Edmonton. But LA is out of the blocks rather quickly this season, and the Kings are 5-1-1 in their past seven games. Many felt this would be a breakout campaign for Quinton Byfield, 
but the former number two overall pick is currently in the minors. And really, it's been Gabriel Velarde who has broken out. Did you know that when it comes to players currently not on entry-level contracts, Velarde's provided the most bang for the buck on offense when it comes to cost per goal and cost per point. He's also been a beast in net penalty differential. He's drawn 13 and taken just one. That plus 12 also tops in the National Hockey League. Now, as for those Canucks, I mentioned that five-game road trip. It started with a win in Ottawa and finished with a win in Buffalo. A lot of people weren't sure what the Canucks would look like this season, but most felt that Demko, the starting goaltender, would be part of the solution and not part of the problem. But that hasn't been the case. Last season, whatever metric you looked at, Demko was one of the best goaltenders in the league. This year, it's been the opposite. Still, Bruce Boudreau going with Demko tonight, even though it was Spencer Martin who won on Tuesday night in Buffalo. Demko looking for just his second win of the season. Donovan. Thanks, Mark. Leafs lost to the Devils in overtime last night and get set to host the Sabres tomorrow. That's if they can get out of Buffalo with all the snow. Scary sight, though, for Leafs fans today at practice as Austin Matthews left gingerly after blocking a shot. But apparently, no need to worry. What can you tell us about Austin's status? He's fine. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Uh, things haven't looked so fine in Qatar recently. Videos of lousy fan accommodations and viewing zones have flooded social media. And today, an announcement that there will be no beer sales allowed in or around the stadium parameters. James Sharman will join us in a flash. But first, let's get a tournament preview from James Sharman. Here we are, the eve of a World Cup that brings both immense pride with Canada's qualification for the first time in 36 years, while also raising many uncomfortable questions, such as how did a tiny and controversial nation like Qatar ever land the tournament in the first place? If nothing else, the World Cup can potentially shine a spotlight on the appalling human rights record of Qatar, maybe even force change, but honestly, that's a very convenient and lazy excuse. The truth is, FIFA, or at least the old FIFA, allowed this. So here we are, most set for 29 days of football with the world will watch regardless. The hosts kick things off on Sunday in what feels like the weakest group of the tournament, Group A. Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal and the Netherlands have an average world ranking of 30. So the 8th-ranked Dutch should coast through to the knockout stages, but things don't always go to plan at these things, do they? The reigning Asian Cup champions have been waiting years for this moment. Does a home-field advantage exist? Group B, the exact opposite. With an average world ranking of 15, and a spread of just 15 places between strongest and weakest, if you want a group of death, England, Wales, USA and Iran just might be it. The three Lions have a shot to lift their first trophy since 1966. But the anti-Southgate crowd will have you think they might not get out of the group. We'll get a battle at Britain, with the Welsh side playing in their first World Cup since 1958. And it will be interesting to watch a couple of geopolitical rivals go against each other on the world stage. Group C holds one of the favourites to win the tournament in Argentina. Could Messi go out on top in his swan song? And would that put to rest all this goat talk? Just Messi at his best. He's never get tired of watching that man play football. 
Mexico are the only team that could provide a speed bump, with Poland and Saudi Arabia, one of the worst-ranked teams in the tournament, rounding out the group. Group D is pretty close to 2018's Group C. Defending champions France back with Denmark and Australia, with Tunisia rounding things out. France also among the favourites, but are missing their two midfield maestros from four years ago. And how about this? Since 2006, no European defending champion has made it past the group stage. And the European team has won the last four tournaments, so bet accordingly. The second strongest group in the tournament, arguably, is Group E, where Spain and Germany will both look to top a group that includes Japan and Costa Rica. Spain and Germany are looking at what life is like after a golden generation, but both sides have the skill to make a deep run in this tournament. And that brings us to Group F and O Canada. This is the moment the country has waited for. Canada is going to the World Cup. For the first time since 1986, Canadians will have a chance to watch their men in a World Cup and is arguably the best team in the program's history. Sure, they're in tough with Belgium, Croatia and Morocco, but four points isn't out of the question or the realm of possibility, nor is a spot in the knockout stages. Group G sees tournament favourites Brazil going for their record sixth World Cup trophy. They're the top-ranked team in the world and just had their best ever qualifier with 14 wins, 3 draws and 0 losses. And they should have no problem sailing through a group that includes Switzerland, Serbia and Cameroon, but that battle for second should be fun. And we finish with Group H, where Portugal are expected to top the group, but could a distracted Ronaldo cause a rift in a second locker room in as many weeks? Could that dysfunction allow two-time champions Uruguay or a strong South Korea side to get through? Ghana, the lowest ranked team in the tournament, will likely be easy fodder for the others. No doubt there are some ugly truths about this World Cup, but it's still the beautiful game and it kicks off Sunday in Qatar. It certainly is the beautiful game and it's a beautiful thing when he's making proper pies, which help my taste buds, or talking soccer which just helps my soul. James Sharman joined us. Thanks. You love to hear you talking about the World Cup and Canada being in a World Cup. But I, I, I have some fears, James. I, I need you to help me work through them. Because for me, obviously, Alfonso is the most talented player on the team. But Eustachio might be the most important. And both might be struggling for fitness ahead of Belgium. How do you feel about the side and what that 11 might look like if they're not ready to go? Yeah, I'm a bit concerned too, Deej, to be honest with you. I mean, listen, like you mentioned, the two most important players are, are Alfonso Davies and, and Estacchio. You know, with respect to John David, you need the midfield fulcrum, who, who is uh, Estacchio. And we know what Alfonso can do. Now, he arrived today. You see the shots there from the airport. He says he's ready. It's a hamstring injury. Um, there's still a week left. So, you know, we'll see. We won't know, honestly, until game time, really. And Canada and John Herbin should play that to their advantage. They should keep things tight to their chest because a Fonzie in Canada is a very different proposition for Belgium than a Canada without Fonzie, right? So um, as far as I'm concerned, they should play this as much as possible. But, yeah, there should be a concern because, like I said, two, two 
crucial key components of the side have at the very least little niggles. Assuming everyone's healthy and it's a settled side, do you expect to see some surprise names on the team sheet in the starting 11 against Belgium? I don't think so, no. It's much like when the squad was announced uh, last week. The, the depth's getting a lot better. You know, Certainly, it's, it's pretty good uh, compared to generations past. But we know pretty much who those 26 men were going to be. We pretty much know who those 11 w- will be. There might be a couple of, of names that get in there due to injury. But uh, what it comes down to is the team that qualified Canada for the World Cup, I, I would think would be the main team that gets on that field against Belgium. Um, yeah, obviously, they were missing Alfonso for much of, of qualifying due to the myocarditis. But of course, he'll be back in there if he can be. So yeah, I, I can't see any big surprises. Formations? Well, of course, you know, John Herbman often surprises us in, in that regard. But we know who the best 11 is, I think, in most cases. And, and you must put them on the field against Belgium. Well, let's talk about the tactics then, because John Herdman, from everything I've heard, said that they're going to play football, that they're going to be aggressive and on the front foot. But does that suit them? And quite frankly, can they do it uh, against a side in a midfield like Belgium? Well, it's all very well saying you you want to attack and keep the ball, but you've got to get the ball first, right? And Belgium are a team that will keep the ball and have possession. They are a better team with a better midfield, with a better attack. So it could well be that Canada are forced into, at times, bunkering down and then using their real strength, and that's counterattacking, and using their pace out wide through Tejon Buchanan or or Richie Larea or Alfonso Davis on on the other side. So uh, as far as tactics are concerned, they've shown throughout qualifying this team can play different ways. We saw against Uruguay uh, a few months ago now, the last time they played a real genuine top side, fair to say. Um, They actually went at Uruguay from the opening whistle. They went at them for the throat, which was a slight surprise. Um, But I think if you sit back against Belgium, they're going to hurt you. So you may as well, you know, go at them as much as possible. But uh, it makes for a really, I think, interesting tactical battle. I'm excited for this tournament because I'm excited for a lot of Canadians who maybe didn't pay attention throughout qualifying to learn about some of the other names other than Alfonso Davies. But I'm actually interested to hear who do you think on this side might be able to change their stock and potentially make a move uh, because, as we know, if you have a nice uh, big tournament, there's going to be teams looking to spend. There are. I mean, so much money is wasted after World Cups on players <laughs> that have a great three weeks and then they do nothing. You know, the, the, the top leagues are rife with those names over the years. But I, I really think that a number of these Canadian players are already on the radar of top European clubs. Um, Tejan Buchanan has been playing in the Champions League at Club Brugge the last year, been playing really, really well. I think he can be an absolute breakout star at this World Cup. He, he's a wonderful talent with his real, real swagger. Um, looking at the back, a player like Alistair Johnston, who, who will enter that game against Belgium with no fear whatsoever. He plays in Montreal right now. He's a wonderful, wonderful right-sided defender. He's got aspirations to play overseas very, very soon. I see him getting a move. Kamal Miller, another player at the back there, playing beside Stephen Vittoria, who has aspirations of playing overseas. He could raise some eyebrows. I think that's really an interesting you know, way to watch this World Cup. Who will be that player that turns the heads? Um, it's a young team, don't forget. It's a young squad. We talk about Atiba being 39 years of age. But beyond Atiba, um, it's really rife with, with young, young players who are going to get big moves. And John Herbin said that a few months ago. He said, we need more players playing in top-tier football. And that was no slight against MLS. But at this point, you've got to get these players playing in Europe, overseas, 
in bigger clubs, in bigger leagues to really take the next big step. John Herman wants that, and I think we'll see that happen. Talk about the next big step for so long, the conversation. Many of it in the studio about Messi is whether or not he's going to make that next step in international football. Obviously, one Copa, but now probably, given his age and stage, his last World Cup. For me, it's gone from everyone rubbernecking, hoping to see a car wreck and see Messi and Argentina lose at big competitions. And now they're like this cuddly favorite and everyone wants to see them have this great last stance. What will you be watching on that side and that player as we get close to the tournament? That's a great point. It really is because for so many years they were, I think, disliked by many people because of their, their attitude. And perhaps it was brought on by the great Diego Maradona many years ago. You know, they were vicious. They were deadly. They were ruthless, but not very likable. Now, outside of the Ronaldo fan club, um, I think most people would love to see Messi win a World Cup and finally get that final trophy and maybe cement himself as the undisputed GOAT perhaps. But this is a really good Argentine team this time around. Maybe the best team he's played with. You mentioned they won Copa America, of course, but in attack and in midfield, they're fantastic. And they're in a pretty decent group of Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. For me, you know, they're my pick of of all the top teams to win it this this time around. And it's a wide-open World Cup. Many things can happen. They can meet Brazil in the semi-final. In which case, you know, watch out. But this is a team that has more than just Messi. But he's playing um, with, with a, a, unabandoned right now. He, he's smiling. He's happy. He's unshackled at PSG. Finally, he's doing the same for his country. So this might be the year. It could be the year he finally gets that World Cup trophy, which might put him on, on level terms back home with with Maradona. Although I suspect no matter what he does, no one will reach those heights, you know, ever again. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of with you. They are, they're a likable bunch now. And they're a team that, you know, obviously as an Englishman, I'm going to be going for England and Canada here. But if Argentina lift that trophy, I'll be okay with that. Well, you mentioned the three Lions and, you know, World Cup semis, Euros final. The progression is there. It's just me and you talking. It's coming home, right? Yeah, of course it is. You know that, Deej. You know. You know, it's funny, actually, right? I don't know how you feel about this, but it, it seems a team that made the Euro final last year and the World Cup semifinals, all these superstar players, the biggest clubs in the world, I don't know if I remember a World Cup with lower expectations. Yeah. One, one poor Nations League campaign seems to have derailed all the, the hope for this team. Now, that might well change on kickoff. And often me, me and your producer there, Thomas Dobby, will, will be all, you know, jaded and upset. And then we'll see that, that anthem played and we'll see that first 11 and we'll go, oh, OK, this could be the year. So it, maybe it will change. But right now, everything I'm reading and seeing and speaking to people, no one really rates this team as being a, a real genuine threat for the World Cup, which, which might be a mistake. I think they're still a very, very good team. Listen, I think that's the best thing for them. Maybe it's due to injury or lack of form, as you mentioned, but uh, expectations and hype is not what an England side needs. But what we need going into a World Cup is you and your perspective. Thank you so much for it, Sharms. Hey, anytime, mate. Thanks. That is James Sharman, who will be giving us great analysis throughout the World Cup. Speaking of analysis with an international flavor, it is the segment that they've been calling for around the world. (laughs) 
Mickey's F1 Minute, I believe it's called? Yeah, I think what, that's what everyone's been calling it, right? What, what do you got for me? Okay, so as we approach the final race of the F1 season this weekend in Abu Dhabi, we look ahead to next season, of course, which will include a major grid shakeup with plenty of new faces in new places, including at Haas, where Mick Schumacher is out and Nico Hulkenberg is in. Now, this is interesting because Hulkenberg will team with Kevin Magnussen. And let's take you back to the 2017 Hungarian Grand Prix. When Magnussen forced Hulkenberg, then with Renault, off track. Now, Hulkenberg eventually had to retire from that race. And afterwards, well, he wasn't happy. And uh, once again, most unsportive driver of the Suck great Yeah, you're really good. Uh, awkward. So anyways, they didn't speak for five years after that. If you do the math, 2017 to 2022, that's five years. So they didn't speak pretty much until it was announced that they were going to be teammates. But Haas team principal, Gunther Steiner, says, if it's copacetic now, we're all good. We look like a bunch of legends at this point. That's yeah. what Gunther's saying. Because Gunther's a real chill individual. Gunther, I mean, he can be if he wants to be, but there's a lot of times when he isn't. I love it. The Real Housewives of F1. Signed <laughs> That's exactly up. what it is. I love it. I, I, I love this show. Uh, so thanks for hanging with us. Time for one last break. We'll get game time and wrap up the week next. What up? Welcome back. We'll get to game time in a second. But first, Kev, you'll play quarterback on NFL picks, will you? Yeah, Omaha, hut down, set hut. Let's go. It's Omaha, time for Omaha. Omaha. It's time for NFL picks. Let's check out the odds powered by Bet Rivers. And remember, play responsibly because, well, if you look at our records, uh, it's not great. It's still early. Come on now. It's still early. Anyways, Tim, he's going with the Bears plus three this weekend on the road against the Falcons, hoping that Justin Fields comes through with another big-time performance. This feels like a trap game. The other one, the Vikings-Cowboys. The Vikings 8-1. and one. The Cowboys just lost to the Packers. The Vikings getting points plus one and a half. Like, this is a trap. I'm firmly aware that it's a trap, but I will walk into said trap. I'll take the trap. Let's check out the SN Bets picks. Uh, and, oh, look at that. They're also taking the Bears plus three. We also did this last week. I took the Seahawks plus three. They took the Seahawks plus three. That lost. So we'll see what happens here. They also like the Jets plus three and a half. At New England's cabbie says this. New York's coming off a bye week, trying to avenge a week eight loss to the Patriots. So gets there you quote? go. Yeah. He's at that status? He gets yeah. a quote? Oh, well, she fired off a little bit of information to add, oh, so I figured okay. I'd, I'd help out my boy, Cab. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, listen, every game day starts right here on Tim and Friends. And here's what's coming up tonight. We've got basketball and sports that end sports that won at 730 Eastern as the Bucks visit the Sixers. And later tonight, the struggling Warriors. Terrible on the road. Finally, they host the Knicks. Maybe they'll get a win. Just one game in the NHL tonight. Viewers in the Vancouver region can see the Canucks and Kings at 7 local time, 10 Eastern. But first, it's game time. Ah, uh, yes, indeed, it is game time. As we focus on the big games of the night, let's get going. Two of the NBA's most dominant players going head-to-head this evening. Yes, it's Giannis in the box going up against Joel Embiid and the Sixers. Embiid, remember this? Sunday versus Utah, 59 points, 11 boards, Work. 8 dimes, 7 blocks. And that came on the heels of 42.10 rebound performance against the Hawks. Just a coincidence that Embiid is doing this while James Harden is sidelined with an injury, Deej? No, that's the key number, zero James Harden's. 
on the court hogging the ball. Listen, I mean, uh, you can say what you want. Numbers don't lie. Up in every single category. And it's not a huge sample, but it's not a small one either. Ten games. This team is appreciably better when the ball is in Joel Embiid's hands and when James Harden is in street club. So the key is to get rid of James Harden. Never said, let him touch the ball again. You said it, not me. Let's keep it going. Canucks, they host the Kings in the lone game on the schedule tonight, in case you haven't heard us before. The second time this season, Vancouver will be wearing the reverse retro jerseys featuring the Johnny Canuck logo. You like this one, Deej? I do. I do like it a lot. What else do you like? What are the, what are the ones you like? Because I like, I, like I like the reverse retro concept. Okay, I do as well. I... I, I, I... I like some of the Canadian ones, like Flames, Fire, yeah, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Like that one as well. Uh, Le Habitant, the Habs. Yeah, the Expos throwback. Giving some love to the Expos as well, which I like. And in terms of the American ones, I was really, I think the might be the best one. I was digging the Panthers. Panthers? So with, I, the, I, with the palm tree and the hockey stick, great colorway. I was I was out on the Panthers at first, but I am digging it now. I, I can appreciate they they really went in on the Floridian aspect. Oh yeah, you got to embrace it. Uh, I, I'm really loving the San Jose Sharks, aka a throwback to the California Golden Seals. Man, those are sweet. Love those ones. I uh, can't wait for the Sharks to wear those. Let's I keep like it. the colors. Yeah, I really like that. Uh, after dropping the opener of their six-game road trip last night in Tampa, the Calgary Flames visit Matthew Kachuk and the Panthers tomorrow. You can see that game, Sportsnet, 4 Eastern to local time. Kachuk, he leads the Panthers 22 points in 16 games this season. And Sportsnet's Ryan Leslie sat down with him earlier today. What do you say to that fan base that really did embrace you? And they may even have a few boos for you upon your return, but yeah. what do you say to them? No, I mean, I'll still see what happens, but um, they, they know I left it out there every, every single shift, every game. Um, you know, there wasn't a game where uh, I wasn't giving it 100%. And, you know, being out there in the community, I tried to be as involved as I possibly could have been. And um, through that, through the on-ice and the off-ice, I've met so many great people, and um, six just unbelievable years that I'll never forget. We gotta get Leslie a smaller uh, selfie. <laughs> Couldn't figure out which one was Kachuk at first. Uh, hey, Kachuk's uh, gonna make his return to Calgary one week from Tuesday. What kind of reception is Matthew Kachuk gonna get? I hope a positive one. I think he deserves a positive one. He was in that community, put in work on that ice, and it's okay that he broke up and he said, hey, it's not you, it's me. Mm-hmm. Gave them a heads up, did it the right way, and uh, Coach Sutter mentioned that COVID was tough. Couldn't go anywhere. Didn't have family around. So when you're going back home, and you see that scene and that weather, I I can't hate him. I hope it's a positive one because they are in a good spot with who they brought in. He's in a good spot as well. The Toronto Raptors, maybe not so much in a good spot. They miss the Hawks tomorrow on Sportsnet 1 and their injury list. It's growing. Chris Boucher is going to miss tomorrow's game with a non-COVID illness. That joins the list that includes Pascal Siakam, Precious Achua, Gary Trent Jr., Otto Porter, and Delano Banton, among others. Is this too much to overcome, finally? Yeah, like, who is Drake injured, too? Is the mascot injured? The like, Raptor? Man, no. I know, I know. Like, they've got some great depth, and Nurse likes to play around with lineups, but that's a lot of usage rate that is not going to be used at all. It's going to be tough. I mean, Nick Nurse is going to pull out a lot of something out of his bag of tricks here. Yeah, he's going to have to. Uh, I'll be watching, though. Uh, That does it for us. Thanks for watching. Hockey Central with Carolyn Cameron is up next. Watch that. Timmy will be back on Monday. We know you're going to watch that. Thanks for watching this, and have a great weekend. Thanks, Deej. No, thank you, my friend.